0: back to the Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're on once again with Chizo, And uh, after a few weeks, we're starting to get a little bit itchy. Just uh, the skin's starting to get a little bit red, a little bit raw. We're just scratching away here, talk, uh, waiting to talk about some uh, Supercoach here. So what we've done, we've come together. Pistol, JB, it's fantastic to have your company on the podcast tonight. A little bit different, we've got a bit of a uh, off-season podcast. JB, how you been?
1: Yeah, off-season three-way. Absolutely love it. And like you said, raring to go for a podcast. It's. I think we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now, but haven't had enough content. And now since the trade period has uh, has capped off and we've got a, a sort of idea as to what the, the team's best 22s might look like. We've been talking a lot about Supercoach. It's good that we'll be able to sit down and uh, have a good podcast.
0: It's going to be interesting to see uh, exactly what um, influences we do come up with with the podcast from players that have changed hands. Pistol, lovely to hear your voice. Lovely to be on with you tonight,
2: mate. How are you? I'm still reeling, actually, uh, after the grand final defeat. So that's the real reason we haven't put out a podcast because I haven't been able to get out of bed until now. So um, looking forward to talking some super coach, but somehow not talking about uh, the season. Uh, that's just finished Look I hope
0: when you did finally get out of bed You remembered to put on some pants uh, For anyone that didn't catch up with Pistol Going to work in just his shoes and shirt That was a little bit interesting mate Tell us about that
2: I, what, I didn't even know why you'd bring that up in the podcast <laughs> <laughs> I made it to the lift I turned around It's okay <laughs> I uh, I went home It's all good I put the pants back on. He scared
1: three old ladies on his way
2: in. <laughs> he had oh, to no, turn around. Scared. I, I heard
0: differently. I don't think it was scared.
2: <laughs> and it was only two.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, boys. What we're going to be covering tonight is pretty much the uh, traded class from the last uh, trade period that's just gone. Quite a few changes, uh, up to 40 trades, including picks, pick swaps, that have taken place. Uh, we're going to be going through a whole list of uh, the players and their prices that have been projected uh, shout-out to Bryce Mitchell, who has uh, provided us with the numbers uh, for tonight's little podcast. Uh, JB, I think I'll hand over to you this one. You do uh, seem to keep us in line when there's all three of us on a podcast. Otherwise, <laughs> things tend to get out of hand a little bit. So I'll hand over to you, and uh, you can take the reins and start from whatever line you'd like.
1: Yeah, I will take the reins, and we will go uh, by position. And we'll start off with the real boring position. I'll get the expert opinions, being you two. And uh, we'll start off with who will probably be the, the highest-priced defender to move clubs in the off-season just gone, and that is Stephen May went from Gold Coast, obviously, over to Melbourne. Now, remembering Jake Leaver will also be coming back early on in the season. What do, you th- what do we think uh, happens with Stephen May? I'll start with you, Pistol. Is he, Does he gain any sort of relevance at all? Um, seeing the ball a lot less probably in that Melbourne side, but we'll have... Um, a lot more people to kick to with a lot more talent who might uh, mark the ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: look, I think the backline next year is going to be completely overpowered. I'm looking forward to playing uh, with a back six where everyone's averaging over 100. Um, obviously, you know, we've gone up, we're most likely going to get Whitfield, there's going to be Doherty and Claire. Um, <laughs> there's so many players. Uh, that will go well that I don't think you can consider somebody who's probably only going to go uh, mid to high eighties in Stephen May. So it's probably going to be a hard pass for a lot of the borderline premiums um, in the back line, just because there's so many good options. Uh, we might look at a couple of the the cheaper ones, but yeah, anyone in these first couple ranges, is just a, a big no for me.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. And I'll do everyone a favor and skip over Reese Conker and, Jasper Pittard there and go straight to Cade Kolodajny moved from Gold Coast to Melbourne as well as his teammate Stephen May and might come in at a tempting price for some people maybe going to the Melbourne Football Club um, might free him up a little bit might send the Salem into the midfield what do you think this means for Melbourne and for Cade Kolodajny's potential in 2019 Supercoach Chizo.
0: Well this is an interesting one you both know how much I loved KK and uh, in our first Um, kind of draft of our our keeper league I snapped him up pretty early because I I, I saw him as a long term uh, kind of potential but just looking at that trade for um, Stephen May and KK both going for only pick 6 when I think KK was like pick 5 only a few years ago and he does have uh, a few seasons behind him of uh, you know quality super coach scoring. I think he averaged uh, over 90 one year around the, the 90 mark in maybe his second year. So he does have the potential to be a fantastic super coach player and I think we all saw that. The problem is, was his kind of downturn in form over the last couple of years related to the concussions or related to playing for the Gold Coast? And that's, um, that's why he's changed clubs. I remember listening to Trade Radio and Um, I think it was Plough that was saying that it was his understanding he was being forced out the door because Gold Coast didn't want him. So um, you can speculate uh, if that's true or not and whether that's something to do with work ethic ethic, or or we've seen um, whether a few of the players changed. I'm a little bit concerned that he's even going to be in the starting six of their back line. We've talked about Stephen May. They obviously get Jake Lever back. Um, Salem had a fantastic year and probably moves further up the ground. I, I don't think he's going to be... Um, I guess they can use him across that half-back line, but I don't think KK is probably going to be in their starting back six. And if that's the case, how does that impact his role, considering that's what he's done since he's been drafted? So uh, he's probably on a watch list for me, JB, but I, I definitely couldn't start him, particularly when uh, Bryce Mitchell projecting him to be at a 2019 starting price of about three hundred and seventy k. There's not really that much to be gained from him unless he goes absolutely bananas. So uh, probably going to be a watch list and see how he starts to end the season. Um, yeah, and, But not and, not one for me.
1: And, and I see KK as someone who you can go 80-plus, sort of hover around 85 even as a ceiling. But like you said, to go bananas, we're looking at something 90-95. As Pistol said earlier, the defense is looking so stacked already. And to me, K doesn't look like the, the sort of player that could go... You know, upwards of 100 probably ever. Although he might be a steady player for, you know, 22 games a season for however long his career goes for. I don't see him as that sort of break the game open, you know, score big 110, 120s, you know, five, six times a year. So um, that's me personally. I think he's got a lot of upside, but maybe not for Supercoach. And the same might go for this guy, Ryan Burton Pistol, went from Hawthorne to Port Adelaide in that wing guard trade, of course. And uh, there's been whispers that he might play in the Port Adelaide midfield. Now, personally, I'm, I'm not actually sure what will happen. But what are your thoughts on Ryan if he does get a shot in the midfield in the JLT series?
2: Oh, I mean, 360K is kind of that upper range on the mid prices um, that I think you'd like to take. He did average 83 in 2017. If he gets a midfield role, you'd be hoping he can push 90 plus. But I think it might be a bit too soon uh, to get Burton he's so young I know he's so talented and he will be I think he will at some stage be a really good super coach option I just don't know if it's next year and yeah as I said before there's so many options in that back line Um, I forgot half of them when I was talking before but even Connor Blakely might get it there's James Sicily, Jake Lloyd, Zach Williams will be cheap, Um, Crisp was even phenomenal again last year there's, there's so many um, I don't know how you can really start with a higher end mid-pricer uh, yeah it, does, it doesn't really fit into kind of I think structures for next season
1: okay well with that in mind having a look at the the rest of the defender list to have uh, switch clubs I think Jack Scrimshaw is one that probably stands out to me and one that uh, chizo would definitely be the one to ask about here, moved from Gold Coast to Hawthorne practically for free considering what uh, the draft pick that he originally was. What are your thoughts on Scrimshaw, jezo
0: I was big on Scrimshaw in his draft year. It's only in recent times that we've learnt there was a little bit of um, concern about his potential to be a flight risk. And in doing that, Gold Coast signed all their, those four top 10 draft picks a few years ago on, on long-term big money deals. I think It was reported that he was on nearly 400k a year if he'd stayed over the next two years. So they were definitely keen to keep him. The difference, I think, being he's had a little bit of injury concerns and stuff like that, he wasn't overly happy away from home. You'd You'd think that Hawthorne is going to be a team that's going to get the best out of him. He definitely has the talent and has the skill. He has... You know, he's similar to uh, what a Bircher would be. Uh, good interceptor, fantastic um, off his left boot as well. as a, Similar to basically a carbon copy. So uh, the question is going to be, is he going to get games immediately for Hawthorne? If he is, with two years of development already under his belt, projected to be about 180k, it's definitely uh, one to keep an eye on because um, he's, he's going to be someone that um, if he reaches his potential. There's a lot of top 10 draft picks that don't actually get to reach their potential, but if he does, he's one that we should jump on earlier, particularly.
1: Yeah, definitely, and obviously he touted very highly, and we know how well Hawthorne do in the free agency period. If they've got their eye on a player and they uh, fight hard to get them, then there must be something good about them. So um, having said that, looking over the rest of the players that switch clubs in defence pistol, are there any others that catch your eye? Or maybe players that are affected by other players moving or are we happy to call it there on defense
2: I think Marcus Adams moving to Brisbane um, is actually more interesting for how it will affect Harris Andrews um, I don't know if Adams will be played forward because I know that was floated as an idea but if he plays back I'm interesting I'm just interested to see how that back line will work with you know three basically key defenders um, and we all know how good Harris Andrews is at intercepts um, play and if he can kind of play i mean we saw how he scored last year he went on a run where he averaged you know above 90 if he can manage to do that now and is a little bit more freed up he doesn't have to do as much defensive work who knows what will happen if he's going to be you know the next jeremy mcgovern intercept mark i'm not really sure how it will work but i'm willing to watch and see um and just see how it affects the rest of the back line there
1: yeah definitely One to watch, and I think it makes it the Brisbane defenders uh, like Harris Andrews, who was probably on a lot of watch lists uh, due to the fact that he might be a little discounts in price after missing almost half the season without Jeremy Cameron here. It it might be... Was that a chuckle, Jesus? Half
0: a season. He was out (laughs) (laughs) for like a month and a half.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, the season's only 22 weeks. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) Um, It was a pretty bad hit, let's just exaggerate it a bit more. But we'll (laughs) we'll float into midfield after that. And uh, we'll start with Lockie Neal, probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest player to move clubs uh, this offseason. And, I mean, to me, with Dane Beams departing the club and Lockie Neal coming in, Lockie Neal just feels like a slightly better, slightly younger, slightly, well, I mean, more than slightly less injury-prone player than Beams. And we all loved Beams playing at Brisbane when he was healthy. Does that mean Lockie Neal is you know, close to a lock in our sides, considering um, he might just be racking up all those points almost by himself? I mean, they've only got a handful of players that can actually average 80, 90 plus, considering they're still building. Um, what do we think about that, Chizzo?
0: I think Lockie Neal is one of those players that you can, you know what you're going to get. You plug him into pretty much any midfield in the side and he's going to be that accumulator that is going to score pretty similar to, to what he already has been. Uh, 2017 went at um, 109, 2018 112 So he's definitely um, someone that's going to benefit from a new home, I think, particularly if he was um, disgruntled or unhappy whether he was uh, he was playing in Fremantle. You say the difference is that, you know, Brisbane don't have Fife, but... Um, I think if you look at the numbers, there wasn't a huge discrepancy. There was a slight difference when Fife played versus didn't play. But I think what Lockie Neal is going to appreciate playing in Brisbane a little bit more is Brisbane have slightly more outside kind of class. They're going to have the likes of a a Hugh McCluggage um, and like a Jared Berry. Some of these young guys that have got a bit of speed, uh, really good on the outside, um, classy young guys that he can just feed it out to. It's no longer kind of all on his back to, to drag his midfield through. So even though these guys are young, um, they still have inside contested players like uh, uh, Mitchie Robinson as well. So um, I think it's a really good move that he's going to go for Brisbane. I definitely don't think he's going to go backwards. Um, how much it's going to benefit him, I'm not sure, but you get, you get what you pay for and you
2: pick up Lockie Neal,
0: JB.
1: Yeah, and he, he's just a consistent performer, isn't he? Any rebuttal to those comments about Lockie Neal, Pistol?
2: Yeah, I just think... Uh... Fremantle still had the Hill brothers and Ed Langton on the outside, so I don't know if that's going to be as much of a factor because they're quite good. But just the fact that he's an accumulator and Brisbane don't have, now that Beams is gone, besides Zorko, they don't really have someone who just gets heaps of the ball that Fremantle do. They've got a couple of players that they get a lot of touches, and I think it's going to be a really good fit um, for Locking Neal. So I think you can um, lock in Neal. For uh, <laughs>
0: 2019. <laughs> Zorko's not a huge accumulator, though, is he? Like, if you look at his numbers yeah. over the, the past few years, he's only low 20s to mid 20s. Like, whereas you look at, um, I suppose it's kind of similar to, to a Fife in a way. Like, he's, he's never been your 35-plus averaging disposal. So he, I don't see a huge difference between what he was playing with to what he's playing with now. I, I just think that there's better potential with the players coming through in Brisbane compared to what they had at Fremantle.
2: And they'll, Particularly they'll have the an midfield. Easy, easy draw. They'll probably win more games than Fremantle will as well, so he's going to get a couple more wins on the, okay. wins on the board, bigger slice of the pie and all that jazz. So, uh, you know, w- when can you pick a safe 110 mid? I'm going to jinx it, but barely misses a game. Um, probably Brisbane tend to get a good buy as well, so we've, we'll see on Thursday um, when the buy is released. But I'm thinking Lockie Neal is going to be one of the most selected players going into round one.
1: Well, he went into Brisbane and I hope the uh, part of the selling point wasn't the fact that he was going to be able to play with Dane Beams because Dane Beams is out and at <laughs> Collingwood now. So what do we think of Dane Beams as an option? Probably being their third, fourth string midfielder considering obviously how good they are. And just to remind everyone, Collingwood did lose the grand final as well last year. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that one Pistol being uh, your squad Um, he'll probably be tag free for the first time in a long time and I mean is there a potential that he goes back to his 110 days or is he pretty much just going to be a you know a, a really good fourth midfielder (laughs)
2: <laughs> it is it's crazy he pretty much is a fourth midfielder i guess behind uh, Adam adam's law side bottom and then you've got beams and pendlebury and grundy's in there it's just absolutely insane and jb i don't know if you can pick a collingwood midfielder um to start the season because we just don't know enough about how they're going to line up who's going to play where and how it's going to affect all their scoring It's it's just a bit there's too much going on. We haven't really been in this situation before where there's literally five-plus midfielders um, and six, including the Ruckman, who are all capable of going 110-plus. Um, you know, Collingwood in their prime with Swan, Pendlebury, and Beams, they all averaged... Um, you know 115 plus but you know getting six players 110 plus in one position it's it's a bit crazy i think i'm going to stay away from you know the minefield but it's possible that he does really well but yeah it's just there's a lot of good midfielders as well and ones without less ones with less injury risk and less uh, risk in general
0: Uh, i'm just going to jump in yeah go Uh, just in terms of dane beams I kind of see him as uh, he's going to be playing a bit more like Dusty did this year. This is what I see what he'll do at at Collingwood. There's no need for him to be playing as an inside mid or, you know, in the middle 95% of the time. He's got a a lethal boot on him. I I just see him as that half forward, perfect half forward for them that's going to rack up, you know, your mid-20s, 25 touches and kick two goals a game and... uh, they don't have to rely so much on him to run through the middle as what he did um, in, in Brisbane. I think he's going to rest a bit more time for be more of a um, a mid forward this, uh, in 2019. I, I see that as his as his role, JB.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. I think he'll be rested a lot more, which I mean helps with his playing 22 games a season. Perhaps we might see that for the first time in a long time with him, but also will hurt his scoring potential. So. It's probably one that we we have to wait and see on. And uh, next player being Jarrah Pollock. Chiesa, what are your thoughts on him?
0: Uh, Not on my watch list at this stage. He's not going to be one of those midfielders that turns into a 105, 110 averager. Um, across an entire season I mean he he had a, probably his best season his breakout season last year and he went 94.6 across 22 games going from Port Adelaide to the Kangaroos where they have a, a less of an engine room and being a, more of an outside player is going to get less ball fed to him so I, I, I'd i be struggling to see him average 95 next year
1: And just out of curiosity if you were to pick one North Melbourne midfielder that isn't Ben Cunnington who would that be?
0: Jeez. I'm trying not to say Higgins. I'm trying to think of something else, but... <laughs> no, i no, have uh, back uh, to you into a corner. You have to say Higgins. <laughs> Check and mate. <laughs>
1: um, and while while we've got you here, Chizo, I will ask you about a man who's moved from GWS to your football club, Essendon, that being Dylan Shill. Might start below the 500k mark, considering his lowly average of 90 the season gone. What are your thoughts on him? Is there any chance he actually breaks out into... What we've thought for years now could be a 110 plus superstar, or is he going to be more of the same sort of 95 to 105 mark, sort of just you know consistently good but not amazing type of player?
0: I think he's going to score pretty similar to Hep. Like he's going to be that 95 to 100 mark. He's going to have games we've seen at GWS. He's had games where he's gone um, big into the big ton numbers. He's not going to be the saviour that a lot of Essendon fans are thinking. He's just one piece to the puzzle, one piece of the, the best 22 that we have. And we're still deficient in the midfield. So it's not like he's going to walk into Essendon um, and just rack him up from, uh, from day dot. He's going to be a great player. I don't see him being one of the, the starting midfielders in our teams because if you're picking someone around $500,000... To make worthwhile, you need it to get to like 600 You um, you know, if you, you're not going to keep him. So to, to make a bit of money off him, he's just not going to go up in price enough. And I don't think he's going to be someone that you hold for the year. So he might be good um, for Essendon in, in, in helping our midfield, but I don't think he's going to be helping our supercoach midfield next year.
1: Which is kind of good because, I mean, to me, I think he'll be very highly owned considering uh, he's so highly touted. Obviously, a lot of Bombers fans you know in general let alone that place to it's just coach.
0: hype it's hype yeah it?
1: there's there's a lot of hype and for us experienced coaches and for anyone that's listening now i think he's one to avoid i mean definitely at the start of the season um if he does start you know racking up those big scores he can always be upgraded to later on just not someone that i'm looking to start personally because the the upside just to me is not there at the moment. And until we see that, there's, there's just no reason to jump on. Now, uh, Pistol, talking about uh, premiership pieces being added to teams, Gold Coast got Anthony Miles. So,
2: you know, <laughs> look out for them this year. What are your thoughts on him Him being, obviously, your favourite player in the AFL? <laughs> just uh, quickly before we, we touch on my favourite player in the AFL, um, I think the biggest impacts of Dylan Shield going to Essendon is actually for GWS. Obviously, there's another, you know, Prime midfield spot in that GWS side who do score particularly well in Supercoach. Um, I don't know who's going to take it, but if it's Taranto and Taranto retains forward status, um, he would be somebody that I would definitely be looking at. Again, it could be um, Hopper just, you know, plays a permanent role in that midfield. It could be Zach Williams. Maybe they throw him on the ball, in which case he would be a lock. It's going to be interesting seeing the JLT who takes up that GWS midfield spot. Um, and whoever does, Unless it's Hopper, I'm probably going to be starting them. So uh, don't forget that. And now I will answer your uh, Anthony Miles question. <laughs> what do you question. want for him in
0: a keeper league? He's talk, talking up all the
2: players, mate. Uh, I'm doing it on purpose. Uh, can, <laughs> I get commission on your trades, right? Um, Anthony Miles, uh, one game last year, scored 90. Um, he He's somebody that when he plays a full game, he always scores well. I said that during the season. I said... If you wanted to be crazy and trade him in before his first game, you may as well do it because he's not... Even if he... he, I said he's probably not going to play three games, but if he plays at all, he'll score at least 90. And he scored 90, and I don't see why he wouldn't average 90-plus as well if he plays every week uh, for Gold Coast. My worry is that... We saw what happened with Barlow. We thought he would just be, you know, he'd just walk straight into that 22 and dominate and get 50 touches a game. Um, And they didn't play him and then delisted him. So I'm a little bit worried about what's (laughs) going to happen with Anthony Miles. But if he is looking like he's going to be starting, I know he's relatively expensive. He's going to be priced approximately at 400K, but he's going to go at least 90. So I feel like it's a relatively safe cash cow, but he's not going to... I doubt he's going to make you that 150k that you probably want from a cash cow. He's probably only going to get to 500 or low 500s. So I don't know if it's enough, but he's going to score well in the meantime. I think it's going to be a, it's a super awkward puzzle piece for when you're uh, constructing your sides. And then there's other players around him that are also really awkward prices, like nearly identical to him. Um, JB, I'm sure, are going to go through Nick Newman, Aaron Hall, Tom Scully, etc. And they're all roughly going to be 400k as well. And I don't know how many you can pick. So, well, well, based on that, who would you pick out of
1: those four players you just read out? Obviously, uh, Nick Newman, Anthony Miles, Aaron Hall, and Scully—all moving clubs in the offseason. If you were to pick one of those players, who screams value and you know potential to make some quick cash before your first upgrade? None
2: Oof. of them. <laughs> um, look, Hall if has any. started. Hall started like a house on fire um, in the past, as in going. Over 105 for the first, you know, half a dozen games, and that, that's how you make a quick buck. But he still ended the year in 2017 with 92, so I think he's still probably going to go around that mark. And Tom Scully as well has always been somebody that's averaged, you know, between 90 and 100. Um, and is it Hawthorne? It's probably a good fit. I just don't know. I don't know if they're going to make enough money compared to just the classic guns and rookies. It's going to be really interesting to see how all these players um, work out. Nick Newman as well. I also think will go around 90, but probably has a lower ceiling than the other than the others. So he would be last. I know I didn't quite answer your question, but I, I gave no, him my okay. last choice instead they're, of my first.
1: <laughs> they, can, they can generally, I mean, there could be no answer because JRT will tell us a lot. And at the end of the day, we talk about these players a lot in the preseason and, a lot of the time we just don't start any of them. And players that do start them, maybe one of the four works out in the first you know, month and that those players fly, but generally three of them fail. And you know, picking that one could just be more of a headache than just picking none of them and, and going guns and rookies. So um, it's, it's going to be a tough one. A little bit lower in price, Dan Hanbury moved from Sydney to St Kilda, obviously uh, very, very highly spoken about and looks like he he might be maybe 50k cheaper than the people that we've just spoken about, what are our thoughts on Hatterbury, obviously enduring one of the worst seasons of his career so far, and you know, being that I I mean had a lot of injuries, always played with injuries apparently, so are we thinking that he might get back to full fitness and maybe back to his best at St Kilda, or is there just absolutely no trust there, uh, Chisa?
0: Look, it's not something that I'm going to run away from, like I've I'm hearing a lot of talk about um, even non-super coach related. How you know his whole career is cooked. He just needs to give up and go, you know, away from the limelight. He's past it. The dude's like 27 years old. He's younger than me. For, <laughs> like, <laughs> I probably shouldn't uh, uh, tell everyone my age. You're really um, old, Cheezer. <laughs> How old I am, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's someone that has been. What is he like? Two or three, or even four time All Australian. Lucky. Like he, he's had um, two back to back years where he went 113. Like, there's not a whole lot of players that do that. And so when you see him at a value pick of like uh, in 2019 currency, is going to be um, uh, priced around um, this, you know, a 60 average he's someone that has a, a risk-reward. We're talking about the Anthony Miles and the Nick Nunes and stuff like that. We can kind of back him in for maybe an 85 or a 90, and we know they're not going to make money, so that one's an easy decision. Whereas Dan Hanabry, if he does get back to his best, say let's say he goes 100, that's 40 points more that, um, above his starting price. And so that's where it's going to suck a few people in. It's going to be down to his role for me. Like when he was at um, Sydney, he was probably 65, 70% outside, uh, 30% inside. And he's got uh, the ability to change those percentages up depending on what the team needs. St Kilda have a pretty poor midfielder, so uh, midfield, so it's, um, in my opinion, I think he's going to be spending maybe a 50 50 split through the mid in that case. If I had to go out on a limb, I don't think he's going to get back to the heights that he did in um, the years where Sydney were really competing for flags. But I, I definitely do see some value there, and it's, it's it's one I'm going to keep an eye on. I'm not going to be like a lot of people that are like, oh, he's on the never-again list, his career's cooked. I'm definitely not seeing it like that. I'll be keeping a close eye on. And I, he's one that I'd be willing to take a punt on if I'm... you know, I've done the numbers and I'm confident that he can put out an output that's going to generate enough cash because he's not one that we need such a high ceiling to make money off even if he goes 85 to 90 he's still going to be generating some cash and at 330 that's that's kind of affordable just think about the the likes of jago mir and how many people buy onto him uh, you know year in year out uh, over the last few years and that's basically the same price for the same output output that we're kind of expecting
1: yeah and i mean it's going to be very hard to resist him if he does put out a score of 100 plus in the jlt I think a lot of people will be tempted considering, obviously, a lot of people have good memories. A lot of people will have bad ones. I think a couple of years ago, he was one of the most highly started midfielders and averaged something around the 80 mark. So um, there's going to be some angry customers. There's going to be some people that, you know, uh, reminisce back to his 113 days. If he puts out 100 plus in the JLT, he might be difficult to resist at that price. So he's definitely a wait and see, but someone that I wouldn't rule out either. Um, Pistol, if you've got any comments on Hanabry and maybe even someone like George Holland-Smith who moved from Geelong to Gold Coast should be playing regularly in, in that side, um, will be priced under 300k. Are these the type
2: of cash cows that we should be looking at or are they really avoid? void? Um, maybe maybe to no on George Holland-Smith, I don't think he's got potential to go above 85 and I don't think he's going to make enough money, but um, I think I, I agree with what cheesy was saying about Hanabry. It's just even though people are saying he's been cooked for two seasons in 2017 he missed one game and averaged 97 and like people saying he was cooked because he wasn't scoring 110 plus 97 is still great his price is at 60 if you're going to be able to buy him for 330k and he averages 97 you're making the money that you wanted to make as chizo said people wanted jaeger to just to go 90 and they're paying essentially you know the same price um i think hanabry's got Pretty good chance of going above ninety next year, but we'll know more on the JLT. If he if he's scoring those fifties and sixties in the JLT, it's obviously going to be a big no. But if he comes out um, with two, you know, ninety plus scores, then he's probably going to find himself um, in a lot of people's sides, including my own. Um, and just uh, to recap, a uh, kind of an interesting point on um, those four four hundred thousand players that we mentioned before, um, a tactic possibly could be just choosing one of them doesn't really matter which one because they're all the same price and what burning a trade at the end of the second round just jumping on which one is best and using that position (laughs) more as a, a flexible spot and just trying to pick the best cash cow rather than actually caring about you know, nailing it from the get-go. Gizzo, uh, has maybe there just ever something been to think about. pistol
1: tactic ever?
2: No, I, I, I'm, I'm
0: literally, you can't see it right now, but I'm just smiling from ear to ear. Just go, yes. like you, <laughs> Every got about single out of year by you, round you burn through again. your trades by about round 14. And <laughs> this is just an, why don't we just have fluid positions in our mid-price and mid position? position? We guarantee to trade one. Let's just, ah, uh, pistol, I love you, mate.
2: <laughs> um, so um, I'll take that as a no, but we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll talk about that closer to the pre-season time. I'm sure. Yeah,
1: definitely. Now uh, I'd like to go over to the Ruckman. Uh, there were four Ruckman that moved clubs uh, in the trade period. One being Brandon Braden, Pruce, Sorry, Jordan Jordan Ruffett. Oh, I can't get any of these names right. Um, Scat <laughs> Lysett and Tom. <laughs> Might as well stuff them all up, to be honest. But um, who who stands out to you here, uh, Pistol? Because to me, I'd automatically cross out Rough Head and even Scott Lice out as players that could you know, score a high enough total to be justifiable in the team. Even the same with Tom Hickey. Even if he replicates what he did this year, which somehow is a 90 average, um, it, it just wouldn't be good enough to, to compete with the real top hitters. Now, Pruce, moving from Kangaroos to Melbourne, a lot of head-scratching <laughs> happening on this one. And if you could convince me in any way why it happened or whether we should look at
2: him in our super coach teams, I'm all ears. <laughs> oh, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? But JB, back on your Lyset point, do you think there's any chance that he can go above 90 next year?
1: I mean, I think he and Ryder will play in the same squad. I think they're both best 22 and will probably rotate between Ford and Ruckman because they both do that really well for you know, Ruckman that are good at tap, tap rucking as well. But ninety plus, I mean, no, I, I'm not sure Ryder will average that even. So I'm just, Ooh. yeah, I don't, I'm not convinced our ruckman. Well, uh, if
2: something happens to Ryder, um, he might be worth a look. But I've got a feeling it's possible that he gets DPP, um, and the ruck forward status is always a bit handy, especially if you're going ninety plus. You could possibly select him in the forward line, um, but I don't know that for a fact anyway. And I mean, I don't you, could, know you could get Lys set and rest
1: off and, and just rotate, right? DPP, Ford Ruck.
2: If he gets, yeah, if he gets, it uh, <laughs> says, you wouldn't do it, but it's certainly... Uh, I mean, Port people. people would. I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> um, Port people might. Uh, back to Brayden Cruz. <laughs> I don't know why he went to Melbourne. They said he'll get guaranteed game time, but it's not going to be in the Ruck, is it? Like, surely surely you can't displace Gorn. Um, unless it's one of those things where they're like, to be the best, you have to beat the best, so I'm going to Melbourne to displace Gorn. And, you know, I won't rest until he's on the bench and I'm starting Ruckman (laughs) or something like that. Um, He's only projected to be priced at 243. That's cheap, JB. I mean, if the guy can average 80-plus, that's probably a win as a cash cow. But I don't know if he can do that playing... A weird role. He's a great scorer when he's a starting ruck, but I don't know how he's gonna go as kind of a ruck forward option. We'll have to see in the JLT, but it's not a hard no. It's definitely not a hard no because he's he's got that scoring potential. We have no idea about the role though.
1: And if he's looking like getting into the best 22, Chizo, what do you think about Max Gorn as a starter? Because I mean we've really got Grundy and Gorn as our R1 and R2 pretty much already penciled in for next season. I know they always change, but, you know, I feel like this is a pretty safe time to say that that, that trend will be bucked. Um, those two, you know, pretty safe calls in your top two, but Gorn may... Uh, yeah, now Gorn maybe with Bruce in the team. Does he take a little bit of a hit? Is he a little bit more risky? Do we definitely start Grundy and not Gorn? Uh, what, what are our thoughts there? Because some people were thinking of starting both for, you know, about 1.5 million bloody salary cap because they're going to be priced so highly. Um, you know, is this sort of the Todd Goldstein... <laughs> with Bruce as well, where we sort of just don't trust them as much and don't start them. Or what are your thoughts on this, Cheeso?
0: It's a complex question, isn't it? It's one that we get pretty much every pre-season. We get into this situation. We probably saw in two thousand eighteen a little bit of a shift between. Um, teams that had two kind of designated ruckmen in the same uh, the same squad. It's not like um, the Eagles last year that had Vardy and Lyset in the same team, like pretty much doing equal work, splitting it like that. I think what Melbourne have realised is towards the back end of the year, Max was really struggling. His body was banged up and was basically doing the minimal amount of effort during the week just to get up for game time. That, that I think that's what they realised. And because Max is such a key factor to the Demons, they do need someone to back up. I think, what did we have last year? Like, Pedersen and and, and McDonald were spending time in in the ruck. Like, I think they've realised that they have the best, or, or, at least the top one of the top two ruckmen in the competition right now, but then what comes after that is the question. So I think Braden Pruce has gone over to Melbourne because he's been guaranteed game time, but I think that's more that he's going to be... Um, kind of like a Rory lob, spending most of the time in the forward line if he is playing, chopping out Max. And if Max needs a week off here and there, um, for what, if his body does get that bad, I think I think the idea is that they're going to protect Max by having Bruce, uh, uh, Bruce in the team. So the by that by that comes um, finals two thousand nineteen, he's going to be ready to go. And so I don't see it any difference to the Cox and Grundy situation of this year, JB. So
1: we think it's okay to start Max Gorn? Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think at this stage I'm not um, kind of scared off picking Max just because Braden Pruce is there. And Braden Pruce has played what eight games and averaged sixty. He's not going to um, dethrone the best ruckman in the competition right now. He couldn't get a ageing um, Goldstein out of the, the North Melbourne side. So at this stage, I'm not worried. But he does have the skills to be an elite ruckman and hopefully it's just to kind of split some time to to keep Max's body um, going through the motions rather than breaking down by the end of the year.
1: Yeah, and I tend to agree with you. I don't think Max Gorn will be truly devastated by this move, and I I don't think he'll suddenly pop down to a 90 average player. Um, I'd like to hear Pistol's thoughts on this as well. Um, Does this make Gorn harder to start, or are we still as confident as ever?
2: Yeah, I disagree with both of you. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I do not want to start Gorn hearing this news at all, especially when I'm hearing words like he's going to be more rested, he's not going to be banged up as much. That, to me, is like, okay, well, if they're resting him forward or they're not playing him, that's not a Ruckman that I want to start, um, especially someone who's going to start at some ridiculous price like 750 um, I will wait and get him when he's cheaper. By either starting Bruce or starting a a cheaper ruck option if possible. Um, And I think, you know, there's some rule changes that will help some ruckmen like Grundy. So I'm more, I'm leaning towards starting him. But yeah, starting Gorn at that price when there's this massive cloud hanging over it. I mean, I'll see what happens in the JLT, but if Bruce is getting a lot of game time and Gorn looks to be rested, like, 10% 10% more than before I might not start him um, But we'll, we'll wait and see I, I don't think I will at this stage I'm leaning towards not starting him But I am interested in Goldstein Now that Prous um, has finally left Because they generally just don't have Another good um, backup Ruckman So I think he'll be forced to play A very large percentage of game time And they've just bought Kind of this makeshift midfield as well um, To support him even more And I think that Ruse. Uh, they'll be hoping to push for finals, uh, given they were doing that last year and they had half a, half the team that they have now. Um, so Goldstein is somebody that I'd definitely look at as well to start instead of Max Gorn.
1: And they still have Sean Higgins, so they should really, really push for the top eight. <laughs>
2: Uh, Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but uh, we'll we'll, we'll make a (laughs) Uh, call closer to the time.
1: (laughs) We'll move on to the forward line moves. And uh, there was a lot of forward line moves uh, this offseason. And we'll start with the move from Melbourne to Fremantle. That's Jesse Hogan. Managed 90-plus average the year gone, looking to start at around 500k. Will be Fremantle's only player inside their forward line that's capable of doing anything unless Walters goes back to there and um doesn't have to really be concerned about Tabernacle taking too many goals away from him. I think they have the the fewest amount of goals kicked from their leading goal kicker this year than ever maybe I could be wrong but I, I know i, I feel like right you're just making now. that up look <laughs> I could be and who's really going to call me out about it no one so <laughs> um I'll ask you first Chizoe what are your thoughts on Jesse Hogan can he pull together a, a big 90 average there could be a lot less um, desirable players in the forward line than, than what we imagine there would be with the... I mean, I, I highly doubt pay, players like Dangerfield and Dusty get thrown into there. So is Jesse Ogan someone, a bit of a point of difference that we could be looking at? He did start the year very strong this year.
0: Yeah, I, I, he's definitely gonna, not going to play the same role as what he did at Melbourne, playing at Fremantle. I think he's going to be more of a, a stay-at-home forward for them, and he's not going to have the same supply, so... He's definitely not going to increase his average. He will still be a good player, particularly a good AFL player, but in Supercoach, I just don't see him being relevant this year. I'd rather spend, you know, 70K less and pick up a Tom J. Lynch uh, at Richmond that's getting really good supply over paying big bucks for Jesse. I don't, I don't see him... Um, well, let's talk about that.
1: So, do you, do you think Tom J. Lynch is someone that we should be looking to start in our sides? <laughs>
0: It's a tough question. Is it the price point is what gets me projected to be about uh, 430k. There's wriggle room there for him to increase, but is he really going to go right up towards the top echelon forwards and, and go near a hundred average? Is is the question because if you're uh, you know forking out 430k to pick him up, you're banking on him to be an absolute elite scorer in the forward line. Yes, as you said, there might be um, a differing uh, you know smaller options that we could pick from. This year, and we might be forced into being creative. But I think he'll be a good scorer, but I'm not sure if I'm, I'm willing to outlay that. Uh, but I what I'm saying is I would pick him over Jesse Hogan at this stage.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And Pistol, do you have similar thoughts?
2: I do, but I also have a crazy theory. Hear me out. Um, <laughs> so, well, look, Fremantle now have Lob, Hogan... And Tabinan, It's a very tall forward line. They've got some other forwards, but I'll focus on those three. What if. Jesse they Hogan is decide... midfield. Yeah, what if they decide to play Hogan <laughs> as a midfielder instead of putting him as a forward and just leaving Tabern and lob in their forward line? I know it's not really what people expect, but I'm not going to rule it out, especially knowing he is capable of it. He did start in the centre bounce a few times for D's. What if they replace Neil with Jesse Hogan?
0: Life for like player I find it hard to argue with.
2: <laughs> I, like, I liked the silence first while <laughs> I get to try and think <laughs> of what's an appropriate response to this crazy suggestion. <laughs> anyway, um,
1: maybe we'll get that part edited out, but we'll move on right. to <laughs> the next player.
0: And that's Roasted.
1: Chad Wingard moving from Port Adelaide to Hawthorne. And, I mean, this, this is, I mean, I'll answer this one myself. I think this is entirely dependent on whether we see Chad Wingard move into that midfield on a more permanent basis, which I'm I'm not sure Hawthorne need, but if if we see him looking likely to play a lot more midfield, I don't think there's any way we can really rule him out for the next season but if he's, you know, 50-50 split, 60-40 split, I think we've seen in the past that he just doesn't score that well on a consistent basis as a, a forward slash midfielder, he does score well as a permanent midfielder can we agree with that?
0: Yep
2: yeah, I think he will play in the midfield though um, I know you said they've got a lot of midfielders Which I, I do agree with But they kind of have like Besides Titch and Jaeger It's kind of like Who's the next best? It's probably Wingard So you probably would throw him in there um, As a full-time midfielder I know they can use They've got like they've got a good forward line already with Gunston and Bruce I don't know if they need him to, to play there They can, he can obviously But I feel like he will play in midfield So he's definitely very high on my radar
1: yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm not ruling it out at all. I'm just saying it'll take till the JRT where we see where he's actually playing before we can even consider starting him or not because he is very role dependent.
0: Yes. Oh, what's the sound of that? Oh, it's the sound of JB backtracking after basically saying that Wingard was no pick, not selectable.
1: <laughs> when you re-listen to this podcast, Cheeso, you will realise how wrong you are. But um, in other words, we hate Wingard. He moved from my club, and he's unselectable ever. So there's, there's your backtrack, but <laughs> we'll go on to Dowhouse as our next one. Moved from Western Bulldogs to Geelong, uh, became a non-option a couple of seasons ago when he really just dropped off. He was great in their premiership year, obviously, as that real work rate pressure forward slash midfielder of racking up ten tackles a game. Do we think he's going to have that potential at Geelong? Uh, personally, I don't think so, but love to hear your thoughts on a pistol.
2: If Kelly left, I'd say consider it. But given Kelly stayed, it's a big no for me on the yep. Dalhouse front.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's about as simple as that. Um, the next few players, Lob, Lloyd, McGovern, Fasoli, Collier, Kent, Roan, McCarthy, are all sort of no-goes for me. They're all you know, journeymen. Um, they'll have decent seasons, but not for Supercoach. Um, unless there's a rebuttal from either of you.
2: Not from me.
0: Not from me.
1: Excellent. So, Will Setterfield is our next one moving from GWS to Carlton. And don't we love a player to move from GWS to Carlton? We've had some good cash cows in the past from this. And looking at less than a, a 200k, likely to start in their, their best 22. Do we have a good feeling about Setterfield for the season of 2019, Cheezo?
0: Well, we do like a, a midfielder coming from uh, GWS and going to Carlton. I mean, we had uh, Matt Kennedy, and that worked out great. Um, we also had, uh, I think it was Jared Pickett. He was a sensational rookie selection. Just, it, I didn't know what to do with all the money that I made from him. It. it was ridiculous. Um, the difference with Will Sitterfield is he is all class. He is a fantastic mid. He's a big body. He's, like a, he's a basically a big Paddy Cripps, just not um, as muscular. He has the talent to go inside, he has the skills on the outside, and he can kick goals. He was on my very high on my watch list. He was basically locked into my squad in 2018 before he did his ACL. And I also picked him up in our draft league early on in our, <laughs> our redraft. So I was very, very big on Will Setterfield in 2018. So lock him in? and it, it, Yeah, it certainly put a spanner in the works. Coming back from an ACL, you do have to... He comes with some risk, and obviously anyone that's had a major injury like that will come with some risk at a, a price around 170k, if he does get the discount um, for not playing in 2018. See, I, I am a little bit um, concerned about what uh, Supercoach uh, is going to do with a few discounts. We've seen it with Gaz, we've seen it with Jaeger. Some of the no-brainers that need to get selected, they don't give discounts to just for their own internal reasons. And I'm wondering... You know, if Will Setterfield, um, he's a no-brainer if he's up for round one. So I'm, uh, that'll be the only thing that stops me from picking him up if there's some little funny business behind the scenes where they say, oh, he doesn't deserve a, a discount for whatever reason. But even at, you know, um, priced at 250 k k it's going to be a, a pretty much money well spent. He's, he's going to be one of those really expensive rookies.
1: Yeah, and I think we can all agree with that. He's probably going to be starting in a lot of forward lines as that uh, sort of F6, F5 type of player, maybe even F4 for some people.
2: Yep. I definitely uh, I think uh, yeah, you can't really put him on the bench. Um, I will say I will set him on my field.
1: Was that a set? Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so, of uh, of the the players that were allowed to be picked up via the VFL SNFL for all those uh, outlets, uh, Sam Collins, Chris Burgess, Josh Corbett, Nathan Kruger, and Shane McAdam. What are our thoughts on on these players? Is there anyone that stands out to you? I think, uh, speaking for myself, I think Sam Collins is the the most standout player there. But looking at a price at around two hundred and twenty k with a big discount. Maybe not someone that we can, we can go in there, but what are your thoughts on these players, Pistol?
2: I think I'll definitely start Sam Collins, actually. The ball's going to be in the Gold Coast backline all the time. And he was, I think he, he broke the record for intercept marks uh, last year in the VFL. So he's somebody, obviously, intercept marks score. Uh, well in Supercoach, so I think that as a rookie priced um, player well inflated rookie um, I'm not sure what sort of discount they're going to give him but it could be anywhere between 190 to like 230 240k uh, somewhere in that range uh, he'll start and I think that's going to be an automatic selection for most of us just because of the job security and the scoring potential um, for the other Gold Coast players they, they picked up two other guys Look, if they're playing round one, obviously you're going to consider them, but I'm, I'm not really sure um, how they're going to line I, I actually don't even remember who's left in that Gold Coast side. Um, they seem <laughs> to have all just just picked up and left the Gold Coast. So we'll see how they line up in round one. Um, but yeah, the other two players, are Kruger at Geelong and McAdam at Adelaide. McAdam might get a game, but I, I doubt either of them are in round one contentions, maybe, maybe a bit later in the season.
1: Yeah, and I tend to agree with pretty much everything you just said for the first time ever. So we will move on. Uh, those were the traded players. Um, I think there's a lot to look out for. We didn't even really touch on how it would affect the, the clubs that they left and uh, the sort of players that they might affect going into the, the new club. So um, obviously this being first of many podcasts in the, the off-season slash pre-season, I think we'll really we'll try and break them down when, you know, as, as we go along. Now, I'd like to jump into some quick chat about the rule changes before we talk about the Port St. Kilda China game. And um, to start us off, what what catches your eye here in terms of Supercoach? I think first and foremost, I'd like to talk about the kick-out rule. So um, obviously being able to play from the the kick-in. What are your thoughts on this pistol? Because it's a lot to digest and I don't really
2: know how it would affect Supercoach. So... Uh, for those that aren't aware of the rule, what happens now is a player doesn't need to kick it to himself anymore to play on from the goal square. They can just take the ball and run. run. Um, in terms of supercoach, it's a bit tricky because we're actually not 100% sure how the supercoach scoring works from a kickout uh, prior to this. I know in AFL Fantasy, you have to kick it to yourself for the stat to be registered. In supercoach, if you did kick you know, a 50-meter drop punt, Um, From the kick in And it was a turnover You would lose points So unless it's kind of A a negative free roll Where the the options are No points if you hit a target Or negative points For turning it over um, Then this will be a change Because you'll be able To play on straight away But my feeling My gut feel is If you hit a 65 meter Perfect uh, drop punt From the the kick out To a player And you hit him Right on the chest Like they they probably Did reward that Um, I did did tweet Fantasy Freako for confirmation, and he uh, solidly ignored me. So, uh, uh, shout out <laughs> to Fantasy Freako. Hopefully, respond soon um, for confirmation on that one. But faulty, the, <laughs> but yeah, I, I've got a feeling it will have no change in Supercoach. Um, so, I'm not too worried about that. I think the biggest um, rule change that affects Supercoach is actually the the Ruck contests, the, wow, the prior opportunity. Thing. <laughs> nice. you, you, you asked me which. Which one will have the biggest effect? It's no, definitely no, going, no, going no, to be the prior. ruck contests. The, <laughs> the ruckmen um, are now able to directly take possession of the ball from like a, um, a throw up or a, um, yeah, direct from a bounce. And if they get tackled, it's no longer automatically prior opportunity. And I watch, obviously, every Collingwood game. Actually, I watch, um, you know, nearly every AFL game, but Collingwood in particular. Collingwood in particular. Well, Grundy takes the ball out of the rack so often. And I feel like with this, with this rule in place, Grundy is going to be doing it a heck of a lot more because he's so good at it. Um, so for me, I feel like this is going to increase Grundy's scoring abilities. Um, I'll keep my eye on other ruckmen trying to do it, but in particular, Grundy is somebody that's going to be doing this a lot. So for me, Grundy, massive lock because this rule is going to give him a whole lot of extra points. Thank you. Well, just in,
0: still- if I can jump in just to uh, go for it, talk about the ruck contest here. Just I don't have any control uh, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if they're allowed to take possession out of a boundary throw, and is this going to discourage teams from playing, you know, short Sean Grigg type players in the ruck, knowing that the opposition won't be forced to just punch the ball away uh, through fear of giving away a free kick? Uh, uh, if Gorn or Grundy is coming up against a a grig, they might be likely just to pick the ball up out of the throw-in and just hand it off knowing they won't be penalised. So is this going to change who was nominating for each ruck, um, you know, during the the course of a game compared to what has been where shorter players have been, um, you know, not really providing effort but providing a body to compete? Yeah, I, playing I think... playing that
1: connection extra midfielder, yeah. I think you're right.
2: Yep. I think the ruckmen are going to get more more time on ground possibly so or they'll play go back to 2 Ruckman so uh, it's either going to be really good for Ruckman or really bad for Ruckman take your pick
1: yeah I think personally it'd be really good so um, hopefully that's good good signs for starting someone like Grundy the next one I wanted to just chat about quickly was the hands in the back rule so a, a player can now place the hands on the back of his opponent to protect his position in a marking contest so, um, provided he does not push his opponent in the back. So formerly this was being uh treated as a free against as soon as you saw their hands in the back, um the you know, the player would give it a little bit of a jump forward and it was always considered a free against. Do we now consider players that are, you know, your muscle type forwards to be you know, bet or even your intercept marking uh, defenders to now be better selections, considering they've got a little bit more leeway in the marking contest and you know le- less freeze against, more intercept marks perhaps, or more goals for the forwards. Is this something that we're thinking maybe key position players like you? I mean, Tom Tomlinson has a more of a running jumper. I'm sure you know what I mean. Um, do we think that they're they're going to be more prominent this year, or is it just going to be more of the same pistol?
2: It's hard to tell if it's going to help the backman or help the forwards because you can kind of look at it two ways. If a backman now can place his hands, you know, in the back of the forward, does this mean forwards are going to like? Are they going to accidentally now push because their hands are already there and it's more of a natural motion? Are they going to are they going to be more free to the forwards because they're accidentally going to push in the back? Like, how umpire is going to judge what's a push and what's just a place? Um, I, don't, I don't really know if it's going to have any effect in terms of super coach or not. It will be really hard to judge until we see how the umpires are going to be adjudicating the rule.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, personally, looking at it from, I mean, let's just say, for example, they, the their umpires adjudicate it perfectly. You can now use a bit more strength in the marking contest or a bit more, you know, the players that place themselves, you know, better for the ball can use their hands as sort of a guide and can go up without giving out a free i think it works well for both i think defenders will probably take more in set marks as well as forwards who you know position themselves well enough will also you know have you know maybe a goal or two extra i'm sure it's not gonna be a huge difference but i think we can we'll see a bit of an increase in both you know sides of the spectrum for key position players so hopefully it makes you know marking defenders that Aren't usually up there in Supercoach. Hopefully, it makes him a little bit more prominent in the game. But you know, you're probably right. There might not be any effect really at all. So, I think it's one to look out for. Now, I um,
0: will well, if- I'll ask you this, JB. What go. do you think that the the, uh, the change is going to be to Alex Rance's game with this new marking contest, hands in the back rule?
1: Well, I mean, well.
0: is he going to play? Is he going to play for more frees and over accentuate <laughs> the push, or? Is it going to make him go the other way and know that he's not going to get a free, so he's just going to actually play for the <clears> ball now?
1: Well, if I were Alex Rance personally, I would play for frees more.
0: So, so you reckon he's going to over-accentuate any hands in the back too? Well, he does anyway.
1: Um, so if you, if, you, if they're going to... But what I'm saying is, is it back. going to
0: make it worse? Because now there has to be some, <clears> some formal push rather than just resting the hands, which is what yeah, he was playing I with do before.
1: Because if I, were, if I were Alex Rance and I was already you know, the type of player who would die for free kicks... This rule now has a player putting their hands in their back legally and all you have to do is you know, let, let out a bit of a yelp and it now looks like they've pushed you. Personally, yeah, if I were Alex Rance, I'd be diving more. But that's because the game doesn't punish divers nearly as much as they should, but that's a whole other thing, I guess. So, yeah, I guess yeah, that could be bad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know how to judge that personally. Yeah, well...
2: Sure. The uh, the rule that doesn't really have too much of effect on super coach, but more of effect on uh, player positioning for the twenty twenty season, um, is probably the the lining up at centre bounces having to have six defenders, six forwards, and um, the six in the midfield. It's pretty interesting to see um, players that are now. Like before, when there was loose men and stuff, it was hard to judge who was playing what role. But now when there's like six defined defenders, you know that all of those um, players are getting, you know, I guess how you'd put it, like percentage towards their chance of getting defender status for the for the next season. Um, I think it also might affect the quick kick out to the center as well, because obviously there's no loose man immediately. Um, but I think what will end up happening is Ruckman will grab the ball out of the rock um, to cause a ball up. And then after they've done that, then they can have a loose man in the back. Then any player can play anywhere. So I think we'll see a lot of ball goes up, Ruckman grabs the ball, holds it in, and then we reset, and then players can move wherever they want just to kind of get around that rule.
1: So what you're saying is Higgins is likely to average 120 next year.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If he's winning the ball every single time from the Goldstein tap and then booting it long into the forward line and having one of their forwards mark it then every single time, then yes, Higgins will average 120.
1: That's easily possible. (laughs)
2: <laughs> easily so
0: in this in this situation if you wanted to get people into defence what you're saying is because you're not going to be penalised as a ruckman just jump up and grab the ball and then fall to the ground and wait for the whistle to be blown <laughs> for a ball up because you can't be penalised watch yep. all your forwards sprint to the back line and now yep. there's your back line That's So it. it's, it's it's essentially just slowed the game down even more because we have to have <laughs> another stoppage waiting for <laughs> the setup that we wanted before we had but, the stoppage but yeah. I mean
1: you've got to remember there's too and going up for the board. A player can't just go up and freely grab it easily. You're up against someone like Max going. I doubt someone's going to be. Able but to but anyway. it's
0: a centre bounce. How many centre bounces are exactly perfectly in between both of them? They both have a fifty percent equal. That's one of the Absolutely. things that makes our game our game great. That's only when it's thrown up. So if there's a bounce, there's a very big opportunity for one of them to be benefited over the other. They just catch the ball because they can't have midfielders come in and interfere in the ruck contest. They, you know, basically get a free hit. They just fall yep. over and get tackled and then we get another stoppage but everyone's at the other end. That's what I, I, think, I think will happen. I think it's, what what is this possible?
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, co- coaches will have ways around it. Coaches will have ways to counteract what you're talking about now. I mean, what if, you know, someone, a Ruckman jumps up and grabs it and doesn't get tackled for two, three seconds and then there's your prior. All of a sudden, you know, you've lost... A you, uh, player's going to risk losing possession of the ball completely just to try and get extra defenders back. Like, that's not... That's counterproductive.
0: But, the, but that's the thing; they're no longer re, uh, regarded as having prior opportunity. No, but if not tackled direct...
1: immediately, you still have prior opportunity eventually.
0: Yeah, yeah. But when does that kick in?
1: Well, when it would normally kick in where, with anyone else. That where,
0: where's the rule around? that says that prior opportunity is X amount of milliseconds after they take possession of the ball?
1: Well, it's, it's prior opportunity is defined with how, like, the player having the opportunity to dispose of the ball. So you know, grab it out of the contest, get tackled immediately. You know, do that anywhere around the ground, ruckman or not, you're not going to get penalised. But grab it out of the contest, you know, take two steps and, you know, consider something and get tackled, you're done holding the ball.
0: So it becomes prior opportunity after you've had prior opportunity, even though prior opportunity doesn't count if you get tackled immediately after you get the ball.
1: I feel like you just like saying the words prior opportunity now. (laughs) No,
0: all that i I feel like I feel like these rules are going to have workarounds by the first game of the JLT, and we'll literally be complaining about what these rules have implemented.
2: Yeah. Maybe. I think... The, the ruck contest prior opportunity, all it was changing was before, if you took it out of the ruck and were tackled every single time, no matter what, it was holding the ball. But now they're saying it might not be holding the ball. Like, let's judge it fairly. That, that was pretty much the only reason they put that, that into play. So, as JB was saying, if, if you take the ball out of the ruck and you try and break a tackle, but then you're tackled, it's still going to be holding the ball. But then the, does there have to be an amount of time before you break that
0: first tackle for it to be prior? No, because if, bre- if you take well, if a player on... If, if, <laughs> if, ta- if you take it out of the ruck and get tackled immediately, you didn't have prior, right? What if you Correct. break that tackle and another person jumps on top of you before you can get rid of it? Is that now prior? Even yes, though you've been tackled yeah, to the ground and didn't have a chance to get rid of it.
2: The rule is, if you try and break a tackle, and that is your prior opportunity. Breaking a tackle is prior opportunity. So that goes for anyone. So if a ruckman takes it out of the ruck and tries to break the opposition ruckman tackled and then gets gang tackled, it's still going to be holding the ball, just like anywhere else on the yeah. ground.
0: Man, that makes absolutely no sense.
2: <laughs> well, but if you, you take it out, out of the ruck
0: and community. get tackled straight away, it's not prior opportunity. But if you happen to break that tackle and don't dispose of it, it's still pro- it's, then of it course, is prior opportunity.
1: Because if, if you're breaking a tackle, then you can handball.
0: Yes. you're using That's your prior. arm to
1: break the tackle. You can use that arm to do a hand. No, but what I'm saying is, an is
0: you're, saying, you're saying that if they try and break the tackle, so <laughs> yes. that first tackle, they should just get tackled and not try and get rid of Correct. it so then it's not holding the ball. So that yes. leads to another stoppage.
2: Yes, we're on the same Which page Which is what now. I'm
0: saying this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yes. know if that was.
1: Anyway, so Port versus St. Kilda will be happening in China this year. <laughs> and, uh, it's, you know, sad news for Gold Coast. I'm sure all their fans will miss travelling all the way over to China. <laughs> But um, that will now be happening in round 11, which we can assume, as per previous seasons, is an actual buy round, which, I mean, formerly wasn't the case with round 9, being uh, Port Adelaide and Gold Coast's spy. So this could now affect our judgment of starting Port players or not starting Port players. I'm not sure how many St. Kilda players I'd consider starting, maybe Hanabury. But um, now we can... Can we now freely start these players, Pistol, or is it you know is this just freed us up completely or I mean the buy rounds could be you know 13, 14, 15 which would be still just as bad but for say for example it is in 11, 12, 13 again what are our thoughts?
2: Well I think last year was in 12, 13, 14 but the year before that um, ah, okay, yeah. it has been around 11 so we don't know until Thursday it, it may fall in the buy rounds in which case it's you know it's as if it, we're back to normal um, without the China game um, but if it kind of falls in round 11, the buyers are 12, 13, 14. Um, that will certainly be interesting, but I think it won't really make too much of a difference uh, in terms of super coach because there's not going to be that many relevant players, I think, uh, unless you are choosing to harm yourself um, by choosing like Jack Billings and... And stuff. Uh, I think we'll have to wait to the JLT to see actually how many Port players and how many Saints players are options, and then we can come up with a strategy of what's the optimal amount of them to select going into the season.
1: Yeah, and it, it might be the fact of like we've done in previous seasons, waiting and then jumping on them after their buy and you know, getting them for all three buy rounds. So, yep. if it is the week before, then you know that could be even better because we just get more weeks of sample sizes to whether we should start these players and then get them straight off their own buy and straight back into the action. So um, something that will come out in the next couple of days, we'll obviously podcast again, um, probably after the draft, because we know Cheezo loves it so much. <laughs> <clears throat> and we'll discuss all things that, that has happened between this podcast and that podcast. So I think that'll wrap us up for now, unless, uh, Pistol, Cheezo, any more
2: comments? No, I look forward to the fixture.
0: Yeah, I can't wait until round one where we get to see uh, a couple games at the new DC Stadium. <laughs> It's Marvel. I'm just trying to stir you because you get mad every time I call it something different. Damn
1: it. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> well, um, I look forward to our discussion off-air about the uh, prior opportunity. And um, <laughs> thank you for joining me, lads. And I hope the community enjoyed the podcast. So let us know if the off-season podcast tickle your fancy, and we'll try and get some more out before the uh, preseason officially kicks off. Thank you. Bye.